I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. On an unreasonably warm Southern California night in 2018, Vinny Oliveira got himself ready for bed in the small second-floor condo he shared with two roommates. It was Memorial Day, but rather than spend the afternoon at the beach or relaxing around the pool, the 23-year-old immigrant from Brazil had worked the late shift. Arriving home around 11, he'd been greeted by two smiling faces, his roommate Chad and Chad's new love interest, a fresh-faced brunette he only knew as Bryn. Tired as he was, Vinny couldn't help but notice the pair's courtship was progressing at a breakneck pace. They'd just met a month earlier at a local dog park, connecting over their dogs, Chad's pit bull mix Athena, and Bryn's miniature Siberian husky, Arya, whom she named after the popular character from the Game of Thrones series. Both attractive young professionals, she, a 27-year-old and up-and-coming audiologist with UCLA Health, and he, a 26-year-old soon-to-be CPA, working for an accounting firm, Chad and Bryn seemed an ideal match. On the evening of May 28th of 2018, they were snuggled together on the couch watching TV, snacking on popcorn and giggling over each other's observations. It was cute, Vinny thought, if not slightly annoying. Vinny shared a brief conversation with the couple, then headed upstairs to take a shower. After a quick towel dry, he put on a fresh pair of boxers, slid into bed, and pulled out his phone to do a little scrolling before dozing off. That's when he heard it. At first, the noise sounded like two people wrestling, so Vinny assumed the pair were playing around and he tried to ignore it. 
Then came the screams, followed by the unmistakable sound of breaking glass. He leapt from bed, opened the door, and crept slowly toward the stairs, almost afraid of what he'd find. There on the landing between floors were the two dogs, Athena and Arya, huddled together, trembling with fear. When he reached the first floor, Vinny could scarcely believe what he saw. Furniture toppled over, shattered glass everywhere, and blood, more blood than he'd ever seen in his life. In the middle of the room was his housemate and friend, Chad, flush with fear, his white t-shirt turned a dark shade of red. Vinny described the scene to the Thousand Oaks Acorn newspaper in 2022, saying, there was a hole where his heart is and blood everywhere. He looked at me and said, Vinny, Vinny, please help me. She stabbed me. It was then his eyes locked on the most unlikely of assailants, Bryn Spacher, the same green-eyed, brown-haired girl who Chad had described days earlier as the perfect catch, was now gripping an eight-inch carving knife coated in blood. Her gaze pierced right through Vinny. Vinny sprinted for the front door, skirting past Bryn, just as Chad toppled to the ground in a pool of his own blood. Once clear of the wooden steps that led to their unit, Vinny screamed for help. Lights in the neighboring units inside the Casa de Oaks condominium complex flipped on in quick succession. 911 switchboards lit up. Inside the condo, the attack continued unabated. By the time she was finished, Bryn had stabbed Chad Omelia over 100 times. She also used the knife on herself and her beloved dog. None of it made any sense. Police who arrived at the scene at Megan Place minutes later were left with more questions than answers. What would bring a gifted audiologist with no criminal record and no history of mental illness to murder her short-term love interest? What could Chad possibly have done to trigger such a reaction? And how did the five foot seven, 140 pound ear doctor get the upper hand on her stronger, bigger and better trained male counterpart? The perplexing case has transfixed two communities thousands of miles apart and left two families deeply at odds. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I explore the 2018 case of Chad Omelia. Hugging the border between Los Angeles and Ventura counties, Thousand Oaks, California is a city of 130,000 people that feels more like a small town. An hour north of downtown LA, the city's tree-lined streets are home to some of the wealthiest zip codes in the United States, a haven for CEOs, celebrities, and music industry moguls who prefer to live beyond the boundaries of the bustling LA metropolis. For hundreds of years before it welcomed families fleeing from the nearby San Fernando Valley, the area belonged to California's native people. Tribes like the Chumash fished the mighty Pacific Ocean and erected villages near the coast below a canopy of green. Each fall, acorns gathered from the region's towering oaks were hulled, 
dried and stored in large granary baskets. When prepared, the nuts were ground into meal, leached to remove the tannic acid and bitter flavor, and then cooked in mush. Unlike the teepees made from animal hide used by tribes on the Great Plains, these Native Americans built apps crafted from the bark and branches of oak and sycamore trees. Life was simple and peaceful for generations. There was no need to migrate over hundreds of miles to follow the buffalo or escape harsh winters, no cause for bloodshed, until the Spaniards arrived in the 1700s. They were led by missionaries like Junipero Serra, whose path through California, known as the Camino Real, is still commemorated with road signs. Much of what would later become Thousand Oaks was part of the so-called Spanish land grants, tens of thousands of acres of pristine real estate that was eventually sold off to pioneers, ranchers, and speculators. The idyllic landscape is marked by tree-covered hillsides and colorful flora and fauna that sprawl over the ancient Santa Monica mountain range. Just a 10-mile drive from Malibu and the Pacific coast, the Coneo Valley, the San Fernando's much, much smaller cousin to the west, reaps the benefits of the cool ocean air as it snakes through rocky canyons, keeping the temperature moderate for 90% of the year. Given its natural beauty and proximity to greater Los Angeles, land conservation is a way of life in Thousand Oaks. Locals are feverishly protective of open space, opposing new development at every turn and preserving countless acres from construction. In return, a lack of available housing has led some studies to conclude that Ventura County is among the most unaffordable areas in the entire nation, worse than even the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County. As of 2022, the median home price in TO, as locals call it, was close to $1 million. Thousand Oaks is home to several Fortune 500 companies, but none bigger than Amgen. Started by a group of molecular scientists and venture capitalists in a garage in the late 1970s, when Thousand Oaks was still populated by herds of sheep, the biotech company has grown into a pharmaceutical giant. Amgen's first two breakthrough drugs, Epigen and Neupogen, raked in billions and the accompanying growth took Thousand Oaks from just another sleepy LA suburb into a bona fide standalone city with an economic engine all its own. But unlike many cities similar in size, Thousand Oaks has maintained a high quality of life without performing schools, well-manicured parks, and most of all, a notable lack of crime. A perennial finalist on the list of America's safest cities Thousand Oaks boasts an annual violent crime rate of less than one crime per thousand residents, compared to 54 in nearby Los Angeles. Still, the city has not been immune to murder. On November 7th of 2018, just six months after Chad O'Melia's death, Thousand Oaks was the scene of a mass shooting inside of a country western bar known as Borderline. An ex-Marine walked into the nightclub on college night, tossing smoke grenades and flashbangs, opening fire into the resulting chaos with a Glock 21 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol. When the smoke cleared, 
12 people were dead, making it the deadliest single shooting in Ventura County history. The shooter, who also took his own life, posted on Instagram during the massacre, saying, Fact is, I had no reason to do it. I just thought, fuck it. Life is boring, so why not? The shooting at Borderline pushed Chad O'Melia's death from the local headlines. In a city where every homicide is front-page news, the loss of 12 men and women in a matter of 15 minutes was almost unfathomable. So while the city grieved the victims of the mass shooting, residents slowly forgot about the brutal killing at Casa de Oaks. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, the circumstances surrounding the case only grew stranger. At the time of his death in May of 2018, Chad O'Melia's life had just begun to take off. Born September 27, 1991, to Sean and Michelle O'Melia, Chad was raised outside of Santa Clarita, California, best known as the site of Magic Mountain Theme Park. Growing up in a Catholic family, Chad was baptized, celebrated First Communion, and had been confirmed in the church. In adulthood, he often wore a rosary to reflect his Catholic faith. According to his father, Sean O'Melia, Chad was someone who could talk to anyone. He would find that person at a gathering who was alone and go talk to them and make them feel included. He had that gift. From a family of Irish immigrants, Chad and his brother Shane made frequent trips overseas and developed a tight-knit bond with their extended family, cousins, aunts, uncles, nephews. Sean said, Chad was especially close with his grandmother. I had to tell her about Chad's death in person. Chad's youth was filled with sports, basketball, soccer, and football, but it was only the last that truly stuck. He continued playing football through his days at Santa Clarita's Hart High School and would later develop a passion for boxing. Fitness was always a priority, though he often hid his physique behind nerdy glasses and preppy sweatshirts. Following his high school graduation, Chad caught on with an accounting firm in neighboring Valencia, where he started as an intern in 2010. His bosses were so impressed with his work ethic they looked past the fact that he had no college degree and kept him around for three years, promoting him to the role of clerk. Eventually, though, Chad realized if he wanted to make real money, he needed that piece of paper. In 2014, he left home for the first time to pursue a degree in accounting from Cal State Chico, about seven hours away. Chad took full advantage of the college experience, rushing the Sigma Nu fraternity and making friends he planned to keep for life. He drank and smoked to excess, but then again, so did most of his classmates. This was Chico State, after all. But it wasn't all partying and girls. Chad was active in the local community as well, volunteering at the Chico Wildlife Sanctuary and walking for breast cancer research. He also served as treasurer of his fraternity further cementing his reputation for handling money. After getting his degree in 2017, Chad moved to Ventura County to work for Michael D. Sabatino, an accountant with an office in Camarillo, just a short drive from Thousand Oaks. While studying to get his own CPA license, Chad worked with a variety of clients, performing audits and other duties. Coworkers described him as kind, 
always smiling and with a quick wit. Vinnie Oliveira was already living in the three-bedroom condo at Casa de Oaks with the condo's owner when Chad moved in during the fall of 2017. The two young men became fast friends, bonding over a shared love of mixed martial arts and boxing. Vinnie still recalls the first time he heard the name Friends Baker, telling the Acorn newspaper, he came to me and told me, I met this girl and she's amazing. You've got to meet her and was all the time talking about her. I think one time I told him, hey, Chad, don't you think it's moving a little fast? Sean O'Melia wasn't at his Santa Clarita home when two Ventura County Sheriff's deputies came to convey the news of his son's death on May 29th of 2018. He'd purchased a house three doors down, intended for Chad's grandmother, and he was busy renovating the home when they arrived. Returning home, Sean saw police cars in the driveway. An officer at the door gave him word of Chad's death. He immediately fell to his knees and sobbed. At a memorial service two weeks later, held at the same Catholic church where he'd taken his first communion, hundreds of friends and family came to pay their respects to Chad. They shared story after story, detailing Chad's warm, caring, and helpful nature. His father said, you never know the impact your kids have on others, but to look up and see all his friends in the church, Chad had his struggles, we all do, but he was a really good person. Back in Thousand Oaks, neighbors in the Casa de Oaks condo complex were bewildered, unable to accept the narrative put forth by police. Neighbor Sherry Sanders, who heard screaming the night of the crime said, it doesn't make sense. They weren't young kids. They had careers. This was a doctor and an accountant. Sanders recalled meeting Chad one day while he was walking Athena around the complex. She said he was mild-mannered. He'd talk to you and he was just a sweet guy, a really good-hearted sweet guy. Everyone will tell you that. Four days after Chad's death, on June 1st of 2018, Thousand Oaks Police made it official, placing UCLA health audiologist Bryn Spaker under arrest on suspicion of first-degree murder, denying the prosecution's attempt to keep Bryn in custody before trial. A judge set her bail at half a million dollars. Bryn had spent the prior 72 hours cuffed to a hospital bed, where she recovered from serious injuries, most of which were self-inflicted. She'd required emergency surgery to fix her badly broken wrist, shattered when a responding deputy struck her with his baton, and hundreds of stitches where she'd stabbed and sliced herself. One law enforcement official told the Acorn it was the strangest case he'd seen in his 30-year career with the Ventura County Sheriff's Office. The unnamed commander, speaking on the condition of anonymity, said, Why would she do it? She had everything going for her. That is the question we're going to be asking ourselves for a long time. Before that fateful Memorial Day evening in Thousand Oaks, Bryn Spaker was living a life worthy of a made-for-TV movie. Born and raised in Bloomingdale, Illinois, a middle-class suburb of Chicago. Bryn was diagnosed with severe hearing loss at the age of three, the result of a rare birth defect. 
Yet the little girl with bright green eyes and curly brown locks didn't let the devastating disability stand in her way. Undeterred by the bullies who mocked her oversized hearing aids and altered speech, Bryn excelled in both school and sports. She was regularly spotlighted in her local paper, held up as an example and an inspiration for deaf and hard of hearing youth. After receiving her bachelor's degree from Augustana College in Illinois, she set her sights on something bigger. Hoping to help others suffering from hearing loss, she attended Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri, one of the top audiology programs in the nation. Bryn earned her doctorate of audiology in 2017, finishing among the top in her class. In a video posted on the school's Facebook page, Spaker talks about her childhood saying, it was difficult to try and be normal because I didn't want to be the only one with hearing loss. It was really hard for me to advocate for myself and be open about having hearing loss. I was very involved in sports and music and trying to get good grades in classes. I wanted to blend in with everybody else. Though family members pressed her to return to Illinois, young Bryn was determined to set her own path, taking a job on the West Coast with UCLA Health. Before long, she was bonding with patients in Thousand Oaks, a city that reminded her of the tree-lined Chicago suburbs where she was raised. Patients recall a caring and attentive doctor who knew how to connect with younger children. On her wall hung plaques from the American Academy of Audiology and the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Her specialties include adult and pediatric diagnostics, auditory brainstem response testing, hearing aids, and cochlear implants. According to family, as advanced as Bryn was in her career, she was still a novice when it came to dating. Fearful of rejection and focused on her independence, she'd never had a long-term boyfriend. Many of her first experiences with males were those cruel boys in grade school who mocked her physical limitations. To this day, family members have tried to downplay her relationship with Chad Omelia, refusing to call him a boyfriend, despite countless acquaintances who've confirmed they were romantically involved. Bryn's mugshot, released by the Sheriff's Department shortly after her June 2018 arrest, showed a person unrecognizable to loved ones. Visible knife wounds marked her neck, face, and chin. Her perfectly kept hair was wild and out of control. Dressed in an orange jumpsuit, she looked nothing like the girl who'd come to California to live out her dream of giving others the gift of hearing. Bryn remained in jail for more than three weeks after her arrest until her family was able to raise the $50,000 necessary to post bond. Upon her release, she learned her license to practice medicine had been revoked. She'd been deemed a threat to others, unfit for care. Family members tried to paint the picture of Bryn as a victim as someone who was possibly fighting off unwanted advances or who'd been unknowingly drugged. Her grandmother went so far as to write the judge in the case a letter, offering an explanation for the bloody attack. Patricia Pierce, a psychiatric nurse with 22 years of medical experience, said only a drug with life-threatening strength could have caused her granddaughter to commit the heinous crime she was accused of. 
Pierce wrote, I pray a psychiatrist will testify to a drug's effect of, instead of rendering her unconscious, having an opposite effect. The 84-year-old described Bryn as incapable of violence, saying she's known her since her first breath, when her lungs were useless from birth trauma. She paints a picture of a wholesome child who grew up to become an audiologist against all odds. According to Pierce, Bryn is steadfast in morals, honesty, life choices regarding citizenship with the Girl Scouts, church, health, family, and friends. She has never been violent or in trouble with the law. She has been gentle and compassionate. But the police description of the night she killed Chad Omelia paints a very different picture. Chad Omelia was already dead when deputies stormed through the front door of the second-story unit at Casa de Oaks just before 1.30 in the morning on May 29th. Upon entering the unit, they found a crime still in progress. Crouched over the body, clutching a steak knife, was Bryn Spacher, screaming hysterically at them to stay away. Sergeant Russell King testified at a preliminary hearing in May of 2019 that when the door swung open, the first person he saw was Bryn, on her knees, her back toward him. It wasn't until he got closer that he saw Chad lying on the floor, covered in blood. The veteran law enforcement officer thought for a moment about firing his service weapon. Then, at the last moment, Bryn changed her target. King said, I saw the defendant plunge the knife into her own neck. It was at that moment the officers resorted to firing their tasers, but neither of the 50,000 volt blasts proved effective. That's when a deputy swung his baton with full force, smashing Bryn twice in the arm, breaking her wrist and causing the knife to fall to the floor. An ambulance rushed the young woman to a nearby hospital. Police were not far behind. Despite being read her Miranda rights, Bryn opted to speak to authorities without an attorney present. What she told them turned the entire case on its head. Waking up feeling refreshed while being a parent to young children isn't typically synonymous. However, with the Hatch Rest, you can embrace a new reality of restful nights for the entire family. The Hatch Rest isn't just any old nightlight. It's an innovative, all-in-one sleep device designed specifically for kids. It's both a sound machine and a nightlight that grows with your children. When your child is in their newborn stage, Hatch creates a soothing and comfortable sleep environment for your baby through continuous sounds like white noise, wind, rain, and lullabies. As your child continues to grow, Hatch helps toddlers and big kids build sleep independence. The Hatch Rest has customized color and sound cues to help make bedtime a calming and enjoyable experience. In the evening, the time for bed alerts cue your big kids to start winding down for the night. Similarly, in the morning, the time to rise signals help teach kids when it's time to get out of bed for the day, a game changer for parents of early risers. My daughter Stevie has been loving her hatch rest. It's turned her nighttime routine from something that threatens her iPad time to something she actually looks forward to. 
The cues and colors from the hatch rest create a game-like experience for getting your kids to bed. The best part of the hatch rest is knowing that Stevie will get a full night's rest for her long school days, playdates, homework, and basketball. I love seeing her wake up energized and ready to take on the day with a smile on her face. It's no wonder why the hatch rest is a favorite for over 3 million babies and parents that it helped get restful sleep. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners up to 15% off your purchase of a hatch rest and free shipping at hatch.co slash murderish. So if you're ready for improved sleep for your kids and yourself, go to hatch.co slash murderish to get up to 15% off and free shipping. That's hatch.co slash murderish. According to Bryn, she'd been seeing Chad romantically for only a month, but things were progressing quickly. On Memorial Day, she'd spent the day drinking with friends in Santa Barbara before deciding to head back to Chad's condo for the evening, arriving sometime after 10 p.m. After an hour of hanging out together, Bryn told police Chad stepped outside to smoke marijuana. To his surprise, she asked to join him. This being California in 2018, this wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. Even before the state voted to legalize recreational use, cannabis had long been ubiquitous in the Golden State, and the home in Casa de Oaks was no different. Only for Bryn, from Midwestern roots, 4.0 grade point averages, and medical degrees, weed was uncharted territory. Friends would say she barely drank in college, let alone smoked weed, but she was feeling frisky. She liked Chad and didn't have to work the next day. According to testimony at her preliminary hearing, Bryn told officers that both she and Chad started with a single pull from a small glass bong. When Bryn told Chad she wasn't feeling anything, he did what any good host would do. He offered her another. After an intense round of coughing, Chad expected to find his date stoned, giggling, and hungry. Instead, the young woman responded in a manner that no one could have expected, with abject fear. Deputy Stephen Jenkins said on the stand at the preliminary hearing, according to the ACORN, she felt like it was a puff of smoke in her lungs that wouldn't exhale. She felt like she couldn't breathe. From there, matters quickly went from bad to worse. Bryn suddenly felt like she was going to throw up. Her vision turned blurry. She was having trouble breathing. Chad brought her a bottle of water and tried to soothe her. It had the opposite effect. Jenkins said, she asked Mr. Omelia to stay with her and stay awake because she believed she was dying. Bryn said she became angry when she was high, but Chad wasn't. Having spent her entire life as the master of her own destiny, Overcoming hurdles both real and perceived, she finally felt what it was like to lose control. Then came the vision, according to what she told a deputy at the hospital. Bryn said she imagined herself in a dark tunnel, slowly slipping away from the light. The only thing she could do to stop the frightening descent was to stab Chad and keep stabbing him. At some point, fighter in peak physical condition, wasn't able to defend himself. Maybe he didn't think she was serious. 
Maybe he didn't think she'd go through with it. Maybe he was confused. Bryn Spacher began stabbing Chad, and she didn't stop until deputies barreled through the door. Jenkins said in court, she described voices telling her to keep fighting, keep doing what you're doing. She described how the more violent she was, then she felt like she was coming back to life. When she finally relented, Chad Omelia had been stabbed an incredible 108 times. Also hurt during the barrage, little Arya, who'd apparently tried to prevent her owner from going through with the attack. The dog had been sliced across her chest and neck. EMTs wrapped her in a blanket and rushed her to the vet. Arya survived and was released to the care of Bryn. Assistant Chief Medical Examiner Othan Mena testified during the preliminary hearing that Chad's wounds were plentiful and varied. Some barely nicked the skin. Others pierced vital organs like the trachea, lungs, heart, and liver. And Bryn had not used only a single knife, as evidenced by at least a few wounds made by a serrated blade. Mena said he believed the majority of Chad's wounds were defensive, caused as he tried to fend off the repeated barrage from the slashing blade. Ultimately, a judge decided in September of 2019 that there was enough to bound Bryn Spacher over for trial. But four years later, no trial has taken place. Despite Bryn's claims of weed-induced psychosis, neither the police nor the Ventura County District Attorney's Office have agreed to excuse her actions. To this day, Bryn is facing the charge of first-degree murder, suggesting the DA believes it can prove the crime was intentional and premeditated. Given her lack of criminal history and no record of mental illness, most people assumed that serious drugs must have played a role the night of Chad's death. Weighing in from Illinois, Bryn's family introduced the idea that Bryn may have been drugged, given a substance other than marijuana, without her knowledge. Chad's family was furious, accusing Bryn's family of trying to drag Chad's name through the mud without any evidence to back it up. When the toxicology reports finally did come back, they told another story. If drugs were to blame for Bryn's violent attack on Chad, then it had to be marijuana that did it. Besides THC, no other foreign substance was found in her system. Not a hallucinogen, not a barbiturate, not even a Tylenol. Without another drug to place the blame on, Bryn's first defense attorney, public defender Damon Jenkins, tried to lay the groundwork to have Bryn's post-surgery confession tossed on the grounds it had been obtained illegally. He probed to find out how long after surgery the interview had taken place, whether police had properly read Bryn her rights, and what type of medication she was under. But detectives were adamant that the audiologist was well aware of her ability to remain silent, noting that she kept talking to police even after her mother yelled at her from the next room to stop. One continuance after the next, made worse by the court delays caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, has pushed legal proceedings in the case against Bryn further and further into the future. 
Bryn, who's free on $510,000 bail, has moved home to be with her family in Illinois, flying back to California only when necessary for court dates. Chad's family, meanwhile, continues to demand justice. Photos posted on Instagram in August of 2018, just 90 days after the brutal slaying, showed Bryn traveling to Utah with friends for a camping trip. Two pictures uploaded to an account created by Bryn, in the name of her Siberian husky, Arya, later deleted, showed her at Utah's Fish Lake National Forest, about three hours from the Nevada border. The first image shows her holding Arya in front of a pine tree forest with a series of emojis as the caption. The second picture shows two females, one male, and two dogs near Delano Peak with the caption, Explored Utah. In a July 26th post, Bryn and Arya are seen seated near the water in Huntington Beach with a caption that reads, Sandy Mermaids in Scarves. Bryn is wearing the same scarf she wore to her July 6th, 2018 arraignment, but she's no longer in the arm and wrist bandages she wore at her hearings. The social media posts were a slap in the face to Chad's family, who could scarcely believe their son's accused killer was free on bail, let alone free to travel without restrictions. Sean O'Melia told the Acorn newspaper that he'd been advised by the district attorney's office not to speak to the press, an order he finally chose to ignore in 2023, after another statement from Bryn's family, suggesting Chad was to blame for his own death. In an interview with the Acorn, Bryn's mother said her daughter was a hero. Sean O'Melia said in May of 2023, I don't understand how they can throw out these accusations that are not true as long as they say maybe he did this or that. As for the countless delays in the trial, he said, enough is enough. Accompanied by her mother, Bryn Spacher appeared in Ventura County Superior Court in June of 2023 for what would be the case's 47th court date. Now 32 years old, she scarcely resembles the person in her mugshot from 2018. A trial date has been set for September 5th of 2023, but whether it will actually go forward on that date is anyone's guess. Asked to explain why the case had been so slow to come before a jury, Senior Assistant District Attorney Catherine Volker told the ACORN in 2020, while we try to be expeditious and efficient with the timing of everything, there are circumstances beyond our control. Pressed about the slow pace of the trial during an appearance on a local podcast, Ventura County District Attorney Eric Nazarenko offered little by way of a defense, blaming delays related to COVID and a lack of available courtroom space. He noted that cases where the defendant is being held in custody tend to receive priority. Nazarenko said, we will do everything we can to get it before a jury. After being represented by a public defender through her preliminary hearing, Bryn has retained the services of Robert Schwartz, a veteran Los Angeles defense attorney who's tried several capital murder cases. Schwartz's primary weapon to date is stalling. Throughout COVID, 
Schwartz said his client's inability to hear made it impossible to go to trial. If everyone had to wear a mask, he argued, how could she lip read to follow along? Even after the pandemic was officially declared over and masks were no longer required in courtrooms, the defense continued to use stall tactics, whether it was complaining about flight arrangements from the Midwest or challenging the prosecution's right to have Bryn interviewed by a psychologist to determine her mental state. The prosecution wants a doctor to administer the so-called MMPI-2 psychological test, better known as the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. The test involves over 560 true or false questions and is the most widely used and researched clinical assessment tool to help diagnose mental health disorders. The Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory was developed in 1937 by clinical psychologist Stark R. Hathaway and neuropsychiatrist J. Charnley McKinley at the University of Minnesota. Hathaway and McKinley's goal was to develop an instrument that could be used as an objective tool for assessing different psychiatric conditions and their severity. As of this spring, Bryn has still refused to take the exam. Facing a maximum of life in prison, Bryn could accept a plea deal and assure herself a release date. She's chosen not to do so. Bryn's attorneys and family continue to maintain her innocence. Her legal team told the ACORN their client has no criminal history and was triggered by whatever was in a bong offered to her by Omelia. Despite the negative toxicology report, the defense says it's possible there was more than what was or could be tested for. The defense also claims that Vinnie Oliveira, Chad's roommate, told officers he also had a strange reaction after using the same bong. Such an allegation has never been made in open court. At the hospital, Bryn told detectives she did not instigate her second bong hit. In one note she wrote while still intubated, she wrote, he forced me to take the second hit. I didn't want to. Her defense attorney said the drug caused Spacher to experience extreme hallucinations, including one that led her to believe she was dying. And the only way for her to survive was to stab Chad. The defense attorney said she doesn't have any memory of stabbing Chad or stabbing herself. In the time since Chad Omelia's death, life has been difficult for Oliveira, who immigrated to the U.S. from Brazil. Not only is he coping with the loss of a close friend, he has post-traumatic stress disorder and has lost his home and his job, he said. He also fears running into Bryn to the point that he decided not to return to Thousand Oaks. Meanwhile, according to her mother, Bryn remains resilient. Her mother said, I'm in awe of her. She's a fighter when things are going wrong. As for Sean Omelia, he's kept Chad's bedroom just as it was when he left home all those years ago. A photo of his son still hangs in the living room, a constant reminder of the promising life that was snuffed out so violently. A man of faith, Sean says he prays to God that his son will one day get justice.
thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I'm going to be on Podcast Row again at CrimeCon this year. CrimeCon is happening in Orlando, Florida from September 22nd to September 24th of 2023. And I'll be there all weekend on Podcast Row, meeting fans and enjoying the company of so many other true crime podcasters and high profile individuals who work in the true crime space. If you're planning to attend, and why wouldn't you, use my promo code MURDERISH for 10% off a standard badge. Go to crimecon.com and use code MURDERISH for 10% off. I really hope to see you there. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air. That's J-A-M-I on Air on Instagram and TikTok. On social media, I recap a lot of true crime cases and I take you behind the scenes at my recording studio. So give me a follow at Jamie on Air. If you'd rather listen to the podcast with no interruptions, you can do so by signing up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon. To sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic, visit Murderish.com or just go to Patreon.com and search for Murderish there and start enjoying ad-free episodes. Thank you so much to Rebecca T for becoming the latest Murderish Behind the Mic patron. If you need more podcasts to listen to, I host another true crime podcast, called Dirty Money Moves Women in White Collar Crime. The podcast follows my investigation of a woman I met a few years ago, a woman who turned out to be a prolific scam artist. If you enjoy Murderish, consider leaving a positive rating and review in any podcast app. This episode was researched and written by Kay Brandt. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.